Here at Renegade Animation and RenegadePopCulture.com, we stand in solidarity with the WGA and SAG-AFTRA during their strike, and we'll do what we can in support. If you would like to support them, please go to entertainmentcommunityfund.org and make sure the donation goes to film and television. This is not a strike fund. This is a fund for people who are affected by the strike. Now then, if you like what we do, please give us a like, a follow, and a rating on Apple Podcast or wherever you listen to us. We are everywhere. Also support our Patreon that way we can keep doing what we love, and that's talking about animation from around the world. And now, on with the show. What's going on, everyone? Welcome to another episode of Renegade Animation on RenegadePopCulture.com. I'm your host, Mike. Joining me, as always, is the animation guru himself, Cameron. Howdy, howdy. And today, we have a pretty fun show, giving our quick thoughts on the first three episodes of My Adventures with Superman plus Unicorn, Warriors Eternal, and Kizazimoto, Generation Fire. But first, let's talk about a weird show to include on Adult Swim, of all places. This is My Adventures with Superman. Of course, this was supposed to be shown on a different channel block that they were all doing and prepping for until the head of Warner Brothers Discovery who is one of the most vile human beings on Earth, decided that keeping Cartoon Network Studios wasn't worth it, gutting the HBO name from HBO Max was a good idea because apparently HBO on the HBO Max was alienating people. You try to make sense of that logic and reasoning. And throwing some of the shows, and most Cartoon Network stuff, onto Adult Swim, which... I'll give you some wiggle room. There are definitely some aspects of Unicorn Warriors Eternal that can be defined as adult in tone and topic. Insert visual symbolic gesture of air quotes. But My Adventures with Superman? Yeah, it's more teen slash young adult. Though more general audience, I would say, until otherwise. I mean, we can definitely get into a debate and discussion of what is an adult animated series. But we're not here for that. We'll do that for another episode. So now we've had two channels and two super creative teams make two of the best cartoons of the year so far. The team over on Disney with Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur. And here with Cartoon Network Adult Swim... My Adventures with Superman, because the first three episodes paint a very good picture of what to expect with this show. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I'm not quite ready to say that this is like up there with Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur as far as 2023 goes. I want to see how the rest of the season plays out, but I am loving this version of Superman. Particularly, I love that there is like equal focus for the entire trio of Clark, Lois, and Jimmy Olsen. I like how, as a kind of sort of rom-com, this you actually believe like the chemistry between Lois and Clark. This creative team perfectly understands Superman and the appeal of the world that he is from. Because for a while, it just seems like, I mean, Superman is very moldable. You can use him in different situations and tones and settings. But I do actually think that's kind of a lie because while you can mold him into something darker and edgier, how has that actually succeeded so far? Not very well. But here, it captures that wonder and whimsy and like lightheartedness that Superman can evoke. And just the hope that he brings to the world with his presence. It's also just a really funny show. I love the dynamic with our actors. Jack Quaid as Superman. Alice Lee as Lois Lane. Ishmael Saeed as Jimmy. 
And I like their takes on supervillains as well. I know some people are raising a stink about it because it's like, oh, not my Bruce Tim era take on supervillains, which I don't know, y'all. I had no problem identifying who was who. There's just a more technological personification of their powers. Like with Livewire, voiced by Zara Fazal, and Slade Wilson, who's voiced by the surprisingly well-casted Chris Parnell. A very different character for him to play. But you would not even think Chris Parnell as a character. You would think that maybe he's like Roger Craig Smith or something like that. But Chris Parnell does have that charm that he brings to the character. Oh, certainly. As far as the redesign goes of his character, I think it works for the world that they're setting up. And even though he says, like, we're the good guys at the end of the second episode, it's pretty clear he's up to no good. Well, he's teaming up with Amanda Waller. So if you know the universe and you know Amanda Waller as a character, you know that it's not really for the good of humanity and such. But we'll have to see. There's only three episodes out right now, but I loved the introduction of the three other villains, one of them being Silver Banshee. And I love how, like, there's this misconception, and I think it comes with maybe the ongoing popularity of Spider-Man and his rogues gallery, that everyone is smart. That's not even true. I love the fact that some of the supervillains in this show so far are just kind of bumbling fools. <laughs> That's why I really liked how they handled inner gang in this universe, how they're just a trio of bumbling idiots who happen to stumble upon this technology And they just want to be taken seriously as criminals, even though they have absolutely no idea what they're doing. They're failing upwards, as they say. And the animation is amazing. It's Studio Mir. You know how good they do with their projects. And I love the anime-like opening of My Adventures with Superman. Like I said, it just brings a lot of hope to the world. And just like this great like happiness and optimism. And Lois and Clark are just a cute couple, or blooming couple and such. And yeah, I can't wait to see the rest of the show. I am definitely rating it in my top three, at least for right now, with our next show, Unicorn Warriors Eternal. Last thing I want to say before we move on is I just saw the the guest cast list, and Michael Emerson as Brainiac is one that I'm very much looking forward to. Yeah, it's going to be a blast i can't wait to see what else this show has to offer it's off to a good start so we'll just say that we'll come back to it once the season wraps up we move on to unicorn warriors eternal created by gendy tartakovsky and written by Derek backman and tartakovsky yeah so this is the show that the marketing likes to play up that was a story decades in the making And while that's a cute thing to say due to the underlying theme of reincarnation, Gindy has literally been trying to get this show off the ground for decades. (laughs) So basically, it's about these three beings, a elf, knight, a sorceress, and a monk who is connected with the universe who must take down this evil force that has transcended and lived throughout the centuries as time and technology and humans have evolved. We cut to... It's not even modern day. It's modern day for them within the 1800s. I at least think the late 1800s. Something like that. Just because of the time period, the technology, even though it's very steampunk. And they find their new hosts, and through a delightful robot named Copernicus, which I just love that robot, we'll get into that later, they must stop this evil sentient force from wrecking the world. And this show is just wild. I mean, it's Gindy Tartakovsky, he does not miss, but... 
I was curious to see how how it came out and like the production of it and early word of mouth from Annecy spoke highly of it until we finally got to see it. And the constant worry of, oh no, is the overlord of Warner Brothers Discovery going to scrap this, even though it's basically finished. So you could say that this show's journey has been a wild one. For sure. Like, just to get basic thoughts out of the way, I very much enjoyed it. I liked where it went. Like, if I had to describe it, it's basically the manifestation of what you think you remember the old Hanna-Barbera, Ruby Spears fantasy action shows were. Like, does that make sense? Where you think back then they're like, oh, these were the coolest shows ever. And then you rewatch them. And it's like, oh, oh no, (laughs) these aren't very good. That's pretty accurate. I'm reading that his two biggest influences as far as character designs go are definitely Max Fleischer and the creator of Astro Boy. Yeah, Asamu Tezuka. Yep. Yeah, no, this show, like, and my comparison of saying this is what you think you remember those old shows being like is not so much of a stretch because Craig McCracken was talking about this story about Gindy Tartakovsky when they were at Cartoon Network Studios, RIP, when they were looking at the archives of like the old cartoon that the company owned. And Gindy was having like a, Craig said it was like some Hong Kong Fooey episodes that Gindy was watching. And he was just like, oh no, these aren't good. And then Craig said, Make the show that you think those old shows were back when you were a kid. I love that. (laughs) Because why wouldn't you? (laughs) Just make something that you like and want to make and such. And this is like very penny dreadful in terms of execution because there's magic, supernatural stuff, sci-fi, steampunk, very cosmic philosophical quandaries. And then, like, werewolves, dinosaurs. I think they slip in one little primal Easter egg during yeah, one sequence. I, I know primal is still one of my blind spots, but even I recognized some backgrounds from that show in one episode. And I almost got really excited that there might be, a like, a primal unicorn crossover, but that never came to pass. Nevertheless, I love that this show is just a huge melting pot of pretty much like all of the different genre corners you got a little bit of fantasy a little bit of sci-fi pretty much coded in steampunk and while the pacing isn't always perfect i love how the the story begins and where this season leaves off it takes about three episodes for the plot to fully kick in like the first episode is pretty much setting up the premise showing you how Copernicus went through time and space to give the new hosts of these powers the awakening of their powers and what have you to keep fighting this ominous force. And then something happens. Copernicus, who is probably one of the best animated characters of the year so far, you get so much personality out of him and he doesn't say a dang thing. So when we first encounter Emma Fairfax, voiced by Hazel Dupe, she is given the powers of Melinda by Copernicus. And then as we go into different parts of the city, as Melinda is now just kind of wondering what the heck just happened, Copernicus shows her like, hey, this is what the deal is. This is what we have to do. They then find or introduce the saying, who then takes up home in a boy named Alfie, and then a Russian magician becomes Edred. And it becomes like the first half of the season is pretty much everyone understanding and putting two and two together with what exactly is going on. And who is this force that they have to fight? Because we find out that this entity takes the form of a mysterious woman voiced by Grey Delisle, 
it turns out is this nine-tailed fox, which once again adds into the whole fantasy aspect of this show. Yep. But instead of just being like, okay, let's fight. We're the good guys. We're going to take down the evil force. A good first half or majority of the season is the conflict between the soul of Melinda and the soul of Emma, her host, as she is pretty much caught within a identity crisis and just wondering what is right, what is she supposed to do. And unfortunately, my least favorite aspect about this show, which they do expand on and make better, is the love triangle story trope. That is the weakest element of the series. And I am wondering between this and the latter half of Samurai Jack season five, that perhaps Gendy's not exactly the best at writing romance. It just becomes an issue since it's basically the focused story arc for Melinda. And between her romance with Edred and Winston, because Winston is just like, what the heck, you took Emma away from me. And Edred is just like, well, Melinda's the love of my life. It's been like that for centuries. So you have two guys who are fighting over her, not because of her or wondering how she feels, because heaven forbid you are a good romantic partner and love interest. It's like they treat her like an item. Mm -hmm. And that becomes her whole stakes of the story. And yeah, I agree. I think Gindy Tartakovsky is not the greatest at writing love stories. I know some people will be like, well, what about the Hotel Transylvania films? Listen, I like those films, barring the fourth one. But there are definitely things you can pick apart and say, hey, this is kind of creepy. This is not okay. If you think about it for more than two seconds and not just take the whole, uh, like, it makes sense in an emotional level kind of way. Yeah. By episode five or so, it gets better. We find out a little more about Melinda's history and how she is the daughter of Merlin. Because, of course, we have to have a Merlin in this show. And I I love it. I'm not doxing points because of it or anything. And her connection with Morgan, who is her mother. And just how even back then, Morgan was trying to pretty much take advantage of the situation at hand, which then results in the power and then who we find out like this omnipotent force is. But before we continue on to that, I just want to talk about the animation. This is such a cool looking show. I love the Fleischer era, Osamu Tezuka inspired designs. You can see the Fleischer inspirations all over the place, especially with how characters look their body movements and certain the eyes yet yeah, the eyes give off more like there's a it's interesting it's a mix between fleischer and osamu tezuka because i think emma fairfax's eyes she like has a design in a head shape that's more betty boop but the eyes are more astro boy adjacent but the designs also have like a French comic book art style, which I'm sure was inspired by the Fleischer era of cartoons. And then there were just little sequences, like the police trying to take down the mysterious woman and such, when they're like gallivanting into the graveyard and such. Yep. Very Fleischer era in terms of animation and execution. I noticed the first episode, yeah, like you said, a lot of the characters remind me a, a bit of the Asterix comics. And one of the uh, character designers, or like the main character designer, Stephen Stefano, worked on the canceled Popeye film. So I imagine a lot of early concept arts were sort of like reincorporated into this project. And it all looks great. And because it's Gindy Tartakovsky... There's a ton of action. They fight like a giant squid monster. There are other steampunk robots. The expressions, though, are so cool. Like, I love... I think Sang and the body of Alfie is my favorite of in terms of expressions and such. They all have, like, the same level of quality to them. 
but I love the posing and the looks on everyone when like saying like his first struggle is just staying focused <laughs> because he's inside a kid. Yep. And I love his happiness, his like daydreaming expression. And I love little moments like when they are all in prison, but Sang finds a way out. And he's just like, why is everyone freaking out that I'm outside of my cell? <laughs> it's like, you guys are thinking like, like, what are you talking about? What's going on? Oh, I'm outside my cell. And it just beats up the guards. Just because we talked about like the iffiness of the love triangle aspect, it does lead into a lot of fun inner character moments for Emma or Melinda. You, we're just interchange them. Yeah. And it does become a more complex show. And then Edred becomes the focus in terms of his plot for maybe one episode that gives him like most of the focus. Episode seven, The Heart of Kings, is very much an Eldred focus episode. And this is where we get to see where his ancestors came from and why Eldred left to become a warrior eternal it came off like a fun little lord of the rings style mini episode mixed with a little bit of that once again like asterisk comedic sensibilities with that giant that lives in the forest yep that made the sword and such and he's just like if you kick me out of here i'll have to go back and live with my parents at this age (laughs) it's like it would be a disgrace like fine i'll fix your sword but I'm taking the magic out of it. <laughs> I loved his animation, just how he stomps and moves around. Oh, it's... I would hope that some animation teachers will look at Unicorn Warriors Eternal and use it for reference points. Like, what this show does best is combine the comedic sensibilities of Gendy Tartakovsky, because it can be very funny, mostly through its visual gags. Oh, yeah. But it also does that thing that Gendy does well with focusing on the silence and quiet moment. You will see some characters pop in again, like Winston returns into the story because I thought they just kind of dropped him for a a good few episodes. I was like, so we're just not going to hear back about Winston. That sucks. (laughs) I wasn't the biggest fan of Winston at first in his constant pursuits of Emma slash Melinda. Yeah. But then once he enters back into the story, that's when he becomes a more three-dimensional character. And then we are introduced to like other cool characters like the Rock Shasha. I love that they basically pull a joke through one of the later episodes, I think either episode eight or nine. Where they basically said, yeah, we had this big epic battle, but it was basically too expensive to animate, so we're just going to allude to it. <laughs> and Because you know, like, you've seen those kind of jokes before, right? Where they're like, oh man, I can't believe people aren't able to see this right now. It's so well animated. I love jokes like that. Or it's just like, man, whoever didn't see that is a loser. That's how with the Rock Sasha and Merlin, <laughs> Merlin pops back up and... It's just like, yeah, this is what happened. And then everyone's like, no, 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 (laughs) no. You got to tell us what happened in the plot. What happened What in the fight and such. And there is this underlying mystery of like everyone's connection to everything. And then it goes into basically like, this is what you think Flash Gordon was like in terms of campy sci-fi cosmic adventure stuff. Because they pull out some big twists. I wasn't the biggest fan of the time jumps but i did like seeing alfie's new design when we got to that point and it just reminds me of those cool sci-fi comics from back in the day like this whole show is like we've said inspired by fleischer tezuka and french and old sci-fi comics but it never feels out of place there's no design that feels like well that didn't match with everything else That's the most impressive thing about this, that all of Gendy's influences 
they meld together pretty seamlessly. Even Copernicus, like he takes a little bit of influence from those robots from Castle in the Sky whenever he's like moving around. And those like enemy robots also do as well. We are introduced to that character, Otto. It's just a very cool show. Something very refreshing to see since it's not based off of a pre-existing IP like some of the other shows that we love from this year. Another little note that I observed, they do that thing, and Gindy likes to do this from time to time, where they have the same voice actors do a bunch of different voices. Mm-hmm. Like, Samurai Jack was did this a lot. You could hear Jeff Bennett, Tom Kenny, Kevin Michael Richardson, and Gray Griffin, maybe slash Tara Strong. You could see, hear them throughout the entirety of Samurai Jack. There's even one episode in Samurai Jack early on where Tom Kenny comes in like playing two different characters like right after one another. But because he's a great voice actor, you can tell he put in two different performances. And here you'll see like Hazel Dupe, Tom Milligan, and Gray Delisle show up multiple times alongside Rosalind Ayers, George Webster, Elaine Yu, and Robbie Damon pops in from time to time and jeremy crutchley also shows up and ron botita is there as well it's just interesting that it's like for all these characters that were introduced there's only like six different cast members but hey it shows off the diversity and range of a lot of these actors indeed what did you like about the overarching story like was there anything you liked or wish they did better or included more of? Other than perhaps like the pacing, I think I overall enjoyed the the sort of coming of age story with Melinda, like figuring out who exactly she wants to be. And by the end of this season, she kind of has it all figured out. She wants to protect the world and the family that she's now created from previous warriors the spirits unlike my adventure to superman i can at least see some of the adult aspects of this show like have it make sense for why it's on adult swim even though some of these are very mild in terms of how quote-unquote adult they are i think the most adult joke that they do is when the greek stone soldiers show up and they basically do a dick-cutting joke. <laughs> oh. But that's really it. But it's all implied of what they were doing. I like how Edred was just like, don't look over here. There's nothing going on. And you see the sword just swinging around in the background. And then the soldiers look down, and then they start raging. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, wow, they made a dick joke work. I love that. Or like how sayings like peaceful nature can sometimes bite him in the backside like the time skips though like i thought it was fine i mean i kind of get it it makes sense within the whole cosmic connection and such it wasn't my favorite part of the story but i did like the end result of it and how the whole world just becomes basically messed up just with dinosaurs steampunk different time periods clashing with one another it reminded me a little bit of i think it was the end of season two or season three of legends of tomorrow where the timeline gets messed up and the whole world is just driven into chaos gindy said here are all these penny dreadful pulp action comics and old sci-fi serial and adventure serials we're going to just cram them all into a blender and that's what the end result of the final shot's going to be. Apparently, there will be, I think, well, Gendy planned out at least four or five seasons for this show. So, And considering how successful it has been for Cartoon Network and Warner Brothers Discovery, I think there's going to be more. Plus, with the whole, I think Gendy and Craig McCracken both made deals with Cartoon Network or Warner Brothers Discovery. So... I think we will see a return of Unicorn Warriors Eternal. Now, if it's the same characters, I think they wrapped up their stories pretty well. 
in general, the love triangle thing becomes such a non-issue when it's just like, hey, you know what? We all have to put our differences aside and fight together. Mm-hmm. But I wouldn't mind seeing some of these characters again. I mean, we will, but if they are the same, same characters, we will have to see. <laughs> right, right. Given the the nature of the reincarnations and all that. I really hope that we get a second season because based on how they left things, like, sure, you could argue that their character arcs have sort of completed, but there is clearly still more story to tell. Exactly. And just because one story arc ends doesn't mean another one's going to begin because they could easily dive into the aftermath of some of these characters and what have you. And plus with the whole unlimited creativity of the world that they set up, it can go anywhere. That's true. But yeah, so it's only 10 episodes right now on Max or Cartoon Network if you're still watching TV. And I'd recommend it. Like It's one of those super creative shows and one of those super creative original shows that we absolutely need more of. And we were supposed to get more creative stuff, but you know, Mr. I run Warner Brothers Discovery into the ground doesn't actually care. So we'll have to hope that there are some executives who are like, we will make sure you get your stuff made. Don't worry. And speaking of super fun and create and wildly creative, let's talk about Kizazi Moto Generation Fire, which is executive produced by Peter Ramsey, who y'all would know from what wouldn't they know Peter Ramsey for? Rise of the Guardians, Lost Ollie, one of the first three directors of Into the Spider-Verse, and just a lot of good stuff. <laughs> And the base idea was, let's get a bunch of animation studios that are in Africa to tell sci-fi stories from their perspective with Africa's history and culture and lore and stories in mind. And I had to look it up because the credits were the only way to find out which studio did what short which is frustrating because there's no extra videos or behind the scenes looks for these shorts. Which is very disappointing. Yeah, they did it for Star Wars Visions Volume 2, but we know why they did that because it was Star Wars, but still, I digress. The studios that we have include Studio Triggerfish Animation, Studio Meala, Lucan Studios, Giraffics, Saturday Animation Studios, and Portfolio Animation Studio and Blink Industries. And just to start us off, Africa has had an amazing animation industry. They've had some super talented, creative people there, and this just reinforces it. Disney's newest show, Kif, is produced there in Africa, and... If y'all saw 2021's funniest animated movie, Seal Team, y'all saw that on Netflix. That's from Africa. And that's from Triggerfish. Yeah. And then another animated short that y'all would see from Triggerfish recently was with Star Wars Visions Volume 2 with Ao's song. The one with the faux stop motion look to the characters and such. Yes, that's the one. On Netflix, we're about to get Super Team 4, which I can talk about because I got screeners for it. Which, and it's a really fun show. And it's also by Triggerfish, among a few other studios that were collaborating on it. And it's just a, as a reminder, the animation world is not just Japan, Europe, and America. It, there's a bountiful animation industry in life in like almost everywhere south america has one russia has an amazing animation history china has a very long and bountiful history of animation south korea to this day is connected to a lot of the stuff that we love Mm -hmm. so it's a shame that people were not aware of all these other animation scenes but hopefully 
with stuff like Kizazimoto, Seal Team, Ao's Song, Kif, and Super Team 4, there's going to be more eyes on the studios that are in Africa. And let's not forget the upcoming Iwaju. Yeah, that's right. I, I hope there's more of that to be announced soon because a lot of the I'm sure a lot of the people who are working on it can't wait to show it all off. And this is a anthology series like we've mentioned above and it includes 10 shorts which include Herder Boy, Kuzi, The Spirit Racer, Morimi, Surf's and Goma, First Totem Problems, Mukduze, Hatima Stardust, You Give Me Heart, and NK. And I found these to be so cool. All extremely diverse, even though Mayala and Triggerfish handle more than one short from this collection. It's a very diverse sort of combination of different styles, but also different themes. Like, I think one of my favorites was Episode 9, You Give Me Heart. Which is basically like a uh, like a mythological take on social media. Yeah, the gods having to f- work and force themselves to keep getting followers. Like a lot of themes that they wanted to tackle include stuff like social media, duality, disability, self-reflection, shared humanity. And it just so happens that they're going to talk about these stories using stuff like time travel, aliens, and alternate universes. And they do a really good job with doing something that annoys me about anything produced by Disney. It's starting to become a thing that's more apparent than normal because of just how big Disney is as a company. They do that thing where they throw a bunch... I mean, we talked about this with Elemental. They throw a bunch of cultures into one pot and say, like, here's our diversity. Here, though, they feel super distinct like one does not feel like the other and i picked up on some of the cultural aspects there's a cultural specificity to to each of these shorts and even if you're not like fully aware of these cultures you can still get into the stories from like an emotional level and also if you are a fan of afrofuturism there's a lot of that here every story here is sci-fi it's just Afrofuturism sci-fi shown through different lenses and creatives. Like, I wouldn't say there was one I found my least favorite. I think the one that ends, at the very least, a little too quickly for me is Hatima, which has the conflict between the Mer people and the people on above the water. And how there's... Definitely a duality story. There's thematic, well, there's themes of disability and how cultures treat people who are different. Mm-hmm. Considering some of the politics that are going on in Africa right now, it's definitely the most like perfectly timed released story of the bunch. But it kind of in like I know it's supposed to end like oh. When you find out that story A and story B, where story B was actually set in the past, where story A is, and then you find out what happens and how the two sides are not all that different. But then it just kind of ends abruptly for me, or at least I didn't find the ending to be satisfying. I can see where you're coming from with this one, especially that like, it's not a bad ending, but... The problem with a a lot of these ones is like some have a bit more satisfying endings than others, but this one in particular kind of feels like, wait, that's it? But I want more. And of course, some of them have inspirations from other sides of the animation world. Rikuzi, the Spirit Racer, which has very obvious inspirations of Studio Trigger. And of course, if you've seen the amazing film Redline. Yes. They're still telling stories that you can relate to on a thematic level because for some reason I recently with this year, I have found an issue with people being like, well, I can't connect with this. And it's like, people are not willing to look past 
the surface level story that they are seeing on screen, whether it's a show or a movie, live action or animated. Because while some stories are definitely not for me, I can still connect and understand the logic and reasoning behind what happens through the themes and the writing. Just because a story is not written like specifically for you, the more specific a story is from the perspective of the writer, director, even performers, the more universal that story becomes. And I don't think a lot of people really fully comprehend that, which has always been a problem. And that's why media literacy is now a zombie. Yeah. And I mean, because it's just like, you can understand something like, oh, which one was it? I think the third one. Yeah. More of me about a mom who wants to help her people and her son, but then has to go through the situation of getting back that little boy's spirit. So it's not taken away from these really cool, creative and scary giants that they animate in this very cool faux stop motion feel it reminds me a lot of if you've ever played the game or seen footage of it called tearaway which is by the little big planet developers and like a lot of some of these stories are very much just from the perspective of how we are connected with, with the world and the earth that we live on like first totem problems is very much about the main character feeling connected with not only her family in the living realm, but in the spirit realm. And the last one, Inkai, which is all about colonization and how outside forces are taking away the resources of a world that is dying until the end when you find our main character reconnecting with the spirits of the world and nature and such like you can understand the basic idea of how we come from the earth and then when we die we go back into the earth to give back to it like media literacy is just kind of forked (laughs) it is but i hope that these shorts find an audience i can only assume these shorts are doing well enough because they're still on disney plus's home screen yeah, no, these these are all really well done, both from a writing perspective. Just the animation on all these is incredible. I do appreciate the fact that at least like two thirds of them, or at least like at like less than half have 2D animation as well as like CG and that sort of faux stop motion aesthetic. Well, some of them are mixed media. Like the last one that we just talked about has moments of 2D animation. Yep. And then there's just like, and oh, which one was it? You Give Me Heart is also a mix of 2D and CGI. And they all are just so cool looking. All these designs, it's there's so much personality in the worlds that they craft. And... Even with stuff like Stardust, which might be the most straightforward short. Like, I don't know how you couldn't connect with someone who is struggling to find their destiny, per se. To find out who they are. And thinking, oh, this one solution will help me. But it's more about the journey, not the destination, as the saying goes. Yep. Or just how someone's connection with the world like how important that is with i think it was mukudze sixth episode where the influencer ends up in in the future which i thought was like the spirit world at first where he runs into someone who has run away because of things that happened and what have you like i thought that was just such a cool looking short there are some strikingly dark visuals especially with surf sangoma which shows a just kind of like a harsh world with certain escapes that hide 
the darkness of the world outside. Or at least it's considered dark and scary because of our main character and that's how he views it. Especially with like his connection with the ocean. There's a lot to pick apart and just love and expand upon with these stories. Though I think if you need to start somewhere just to kind of get yourself accustomed to some of the headier topics it probably isn't just a good idea to go chronological because herder boy is just about a kid going to a coming of age experience of finding who he is and saving his fellow hunters from a spirit entity that would have otherwise killed him and everyone else i agree with this if you want something to just dip your toe into these before diving straight in you might as well just start right from the beginning right right and like did you have a favorite or like what would you say your three favorites were so i think my three favorites are you give me heart makuzi the spirit racer because i'm a big studio trigger fan so anything that even comes close to matching that aesthetic is something that'll win me over and then I think my third favorite probably is Stardust, just for like that whole story about finding your destiny. It's all about the journey and less the destination. Like the main character thinks that like if she gets this scroll from this oracle, she will figure out everything. And then the great twist of it all was that the scroll was empty, but that was the point. <laughs> and the oracle was like yeah now you know how i felt because not knowing where you're going can be scary but what you need to do is just worry about the right now and then you can find out what happens as you go i love how the short begins and ends with the first time the oracle asks what do you want to be dust lady she says anything but this and then it ends with nothing but this. Yeah, thematic contextual realignment, man. <laughs> Just how those words can mean different things from one point of the story to the next. My favorites were, yeah, I have to say you give me heart. There is definitely a side of it that is commentating on the toxic ongoing work of influencers and content creators and such just told through becoming a god and not a YouTuber and what have you. And how people alter themselves through yeah, through filters and editing and, and personas and such and and hiding the true version of themselves. I also liked Makudze. I thought that one had my favorite visual look of it all. And then I think Stardust. Though Inkai has a very cool look to it with its faux stop motion and then its mixture of 2D elements. I did like all that stuff in Ankai. That might be my number four, actually. Nice. And... It just shows how cool animation can be, hopefully given the creatives and talented animators, artists, coders, editors, and what have you, time to actually make these ambitious visuals come to life. And I would love to see more films made by some of these studios. I know we've seen what Triggerfish can do, but I would love to see some of the other ones get a chance at making a feature film as well. It's just so cool that we were able to get this from these artists and storytellers. I mean, yeah, Disney can say they fronted the bill, but that's literally all they did. They let Peter Ramsey and everyone else do what they do best and tell distinct, vibrant stories. So definitely like one of my favorite things to come out of this year Maybe number four or number three in my terms of rankings of animated shows or show-like experiences 
from this year. I think that's fair. Something I want Disney to continue between this and Star Wars Visions is I want them to keep putting out more animation anthologies because these are actually a really cool way of getting like the general audience into the world. And I do mean that literally the world of animation. Exactly. We need like if you want to see more stories told from different countries and different people, you need to support them when they are readily available to you to see, to watch, to buy, to own, to screen. And one way to do so is to watch stuff like this. I know it sucks to feel like you're being forced to watch something, but because of how Netflix, Warner Brothers Discovery, and now Disney Plus have essentially said we don't want to pay you residuals anymore so we're going to take the thing off and who knows if we're going to see it back on there or on some other service so it's good to put focus and support on not just watching the office for a 50th time watch other things watch the new stuff that comes out Ask around because some people may say like, well, because of their bad marketing, they may have not even known about it. Well, like ask people. There are some people who do keep track of this stuff and say like, hey, do you want to see something cool and interesting? Well, watch Kizazi Moto Generation Fire. This is how word of mouth spreads. This is how we let studios know that, hey, we want more of this. Like it does suck that like, if we have to do this by ourselves, then so be it. Definitely watch the three shows that we talked about today. I know the first one is Impressions, but still. Like, because that's the only way we're going to get more creative stuff going. And it's just good to put your money where your mouth is in terms of what you actually want to see. So, Agreed. Now, do we have a plan that we can share for next week? Well, we're going to be mostly catching up. I'm trying to get in contact with G Kids so we can talk about the first slam dunk. But otherwise, we will be catching up on other shows, maybe like the Gremlins show on Warner Brothers Discovery's Max or Clone High Season 2. It's up in the air. I'm sure it'll be worth it. But until then, Cameron, where can everyone find you online? You can find me on Twitter, as long as Twitter stands, at Cam's Eye View. I have a website called camseyeview.biz, where I talk about animated films and shows from around the world called The Other Side of Animation. I also have a Patreon at patreon.com slash camseyeview. That's where you can find me. And you guys can find me on Twitter at CaptainK42. You can check out my quick thoughts on letterbox.com slash CoachK42. And you can follow Renegade Pop Culture on Facebook and Twitter at Ren Pop Culture. You can also find us on YouTube, on Podchaser. Subscribe to our Patreon at patreon.com slash renegadepopculture. Listen to all of our podcasts on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, basically wherever you listen. And last but not least, everything can be found at renegadepopculture.com. Need to escape? So do we. That'll do it for this episode of Renegade Animation. We will catch you guys later. Peace out.